Welcome to Superfat, a new podcast from Stuff. I'm Laura Walters. And I'm Katie Kenny. In this series, we explore the weird and wonderful world of trends. Last week, we looked at the phenomenon of waist trainers. In this episode, we're going to tell you a story about hope. I was just like, no, I want to be pedaled to the middle, get really big gonads. And insomnia. Um, you know, I'd be waking up in the middle of the night and checking, uh, checking my app. And ultimately, despair. Everything was just crashing down, you know, a sea of red. What you've heard is the story of journalist and Bitcoin enthusiast Derek Rose. Derek's a guy who invested his life savings into cryptocurrency, and we're going to be telling you a bit more about his roller coaster ride in three parts throughout this episode. Usually we would try these trends for ourselves, but we didn't do very well in that regard this time. We'll also be talking to Richard McManus, who's one of New Zealand's leading writers in this area. Then later on, talking to Sean O, head of the Blockchain Association. Don't worry, we'll get to blockchain later. In case you've missed it, cryptocurrency, and Bitcoin in particular, has been taking off. It all started with a small group of crypto anarchists in their mother's basements, then software developers jumped on the craze, and hardcore investors, and it started to become a lot more mainstream. The rise has been incredible. Every day there's a new headline about Bitcoin rising or plummeting significantly. And when we were initially brainstorming ideas for Superfad, we weren't sure whether cryptocurrency would make the cut. Now it seems crazy to leave it out when we're talking about fads and trends. We should be clear that when we talk about cryptocurrencies, we are broadly talking about digital currencies, as opposed to fiat currencies which are backed by governments. So instead of being managed by the state or even a corporation, cryptocurrencies are entirely decentralised, supervised by a worldwide network of volunteers who maintain computers running specialised software. Central banks are grappling to come to terms with cryptocurrency and what it means. They're working on regulating the market at the moment and and kind of better educating themselves so they can keep up with the trend. The market is becoming huge. The cap at the moment is worth US $400 billion. That's almost $550 billion New Zealand dollars. But it's plummeted from about $800 billion in January. Now one Bitcoin is worth almost $12,000 New Zealand dollars though that figure will have likely changed by the time we finish this episode. It's understandable why anyone with a little bit of spare cash or capital would be trying to get into the market. It's exciting, it's taking off, and it's getting harder to get your hands on virtual currency. So there's a feeling the window is closing, that we have to get in quickly. But from New Zealand, it's even harder to get involved. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the episode. But first we want to go back to Derek, the guy we heard from at the start of the episode. He was one of the millions around the world who's been caught up in this crypto whirlwind, and he was a pretty early adopter. So back when I was living in in New York, um, I I had a a flatmate that moved in, and all of a sudden my um, electricity bills were kind of spiked. And finally he um, kind of admitted to me he was mining bitcoins on his his computer, and you could do that at the time, and like that's what kind of got me... uh, Got me into it. If you're wondering why mining is requiring a lot of Derek's electricity, it's because it's basically a fancy Bitcoin term for computational accounting, whereby you use really powerful computers to unlock new Bitcoin. And it sounded such a, like a, such a neat idea. I think I just put in, like I bought about 10 Bitcoins. Like I, I had this automated um, buy, like I was buying like a, I was putting like $100 a week or maybe $100 a month or something. Then when I moved to New Zealand to take the job at Stuff with you, uh, you know, I just kind of 
I was kind of short on cash and uh, and stopped that. So uh, I could have bought much more, but you know whatever. So in the middle of last year, I decided I would, you know, I had only bought ten bitcoins hmm. um, back back when they were cheap. But I was like, you know, the way the market's going, maybe this, you know, that was obviously kind of ticking myself. But I did have a bunch of money in my U.S. Uh, it's basically my U.S. Kiwi Saver, or the equivalent of the U.S. Kiwi Saver. Mm-hmm. You know, being in journalism, I'd never. Never made that much money, but I was good about saving a good chunk of money. Hmm. And so I had about $200,000 U.S. Wow. And I was like, gee, you know, I am <laughs> I could just throw it all into the cryptocurrency market. It was kind of terrifying, but I did it. And uh, it kind of was doing all right and doing doing well. And um, I, you know, kind of grew more confident about it. And then I got into these two cryptocurrencies called EOS and IOTA. Um, EOS, they both kind of, EOS went up like 15 times, 15 to 20 times what I bought it for, and IOTA was nearly nearly as much. So all of a sudden, I'm a millionaire. Yeah, um, yeah it was quite a heady feeling. And I was just like, you know, it's just like you're, you're on top of the world. Derek's considered a fairly early adopter because he was buying Bitcoin in 2013, but the concept had been around a lot longer than that, since about 2008. Exactly. So there was a person who called themselves Satoshi Yakamoto, and in 2008 they released what's called a white paper online. This white paper was just nine pages long, but incredibly complex, and it basically explained to people how a decentralised and deregulated virtual currency could work and work in a way that wasn't just mirroring current financial systems or payment systems like PayPal or online banking. Technically, it made that information and therefore cryptocurrency accessible to everyone. But like I said, the paper was hard to understand and it took a long time for people to join the community and for it to become more mainstream. There had already been this bubble of excitement around it from Silicon Valley, from people who were working on similar kinds of technologies. So these kind of anarchists and cyberpunks, as they called themselves, adopted the white paper and the first Bitcoin was mined in 2009. Yeah, and then about a year later on May 22, 2010, a software developer in the US um, bought two pizzas with roughly 10,000 Bitcoin, which equated to about $25 at the time. They really just wanted to prove that you could actually buy something physical with this virtual currency. So that $25 at the time is now about $100 million today. Yeah, that would be some very expensive pizza. Um, But my first interaction with cryptocurrency was also back in 2013. I was working as a business journalist at the time, and we were having the same discussions about whether Bitcoin was just a bubble or whether it was actually here to stay. And in order to do the story, I wanted to speak to someone who actually used Bitcoin. And at the time, it was really only people who were doing it on the dark web who were buying, using Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to buy drugs or hire hitmen and stuff like that. So I contacted this person on Viber, which is an old messaging app that basically um, doesn't keep a track of your messages. And we met up in this dodgy back room of an Auckland bar, and he told me about how he was buying and selling drugs on the deep web. So it gives you, I guess, a pretty good feeling of what the community was like back in 2013. 
the community's changed quite a bit since then. Obviously, um, since it started becoming more valuable, it's sort of moved into more of a, an investor sphere. So now we've got, um, rather than these anarchists turning up to meetups, you've got people in suits and basically just young people who want to find another way of storing their value. Maybe they don't have a lot of trust in the centralised systems or maybe they just want to get rich quickly. Yeah, everyday people like you, me, and like Derek, I guess. This is the point where if people are, um, are listening, they're like, oh my God, this guy is such a dumbass. But it was kind of like, it was such a rush. At the height of the market, or at least the height of my portfolio, I had $7 million in cryptocurrencies and I borrowed $9 million <laughs> against them. And uh, so I was paying, you know, thousands of dollars of interest each day, but I was gaining like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Despite this, Derek is what people in the crypto community would refer to as a hodler, not holder. It's like a misspelling of that hodler, which means that they buy and buy and buy currency and don't sell it. It does sound absolutely crazy. I admit, yeah, uh, uh, you know, (laughs) um, I didn't... (laughs) I didn't take any out at all, um, but uh, you know it was. Um, I don't know. It was just. It was just a wild ride. It was a big rush. <laughs> Waking up and you know at four a.m. and checking your portfolio and seeing that you've you've. Uh, yeah. How much time did this consume? How often were you on your phone just checking? Um, checking. You know, I'd be waking up in the middle of the night and checking uh, checking my app. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was a heady time. Yeah, <laughs> it was a heady experience. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, my, I mean, I told my friends, and they're like, Derek, <laughs> diversify. <laughs> they were like, Derek, diversify, take, take some oak. <laughs> and, and, and what was your I, response? I like at the time? Uh, you... I was just like, no, I want to be pedal to the metal, uh, you know, I've got really big gonads. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, I don't know, it was just really, I don't know, it, was, it in that way, it was just like sitting at the table and, and gambling. Derek did most of his Bitcoin buying in the United States and later in Australia. But it's not as easy in New Zealand as we've discovered. As we mentioned earlier, part of this podcast usually involves us trying out the trend so that you don't have to. And we were very prepared to get rich off cryptocurrency, but it was actually a lot harder than we thought. Yeah, I set up an account with every intention of buying up a whole heap of Bitcoin. Um, I got an account with the exchange in New Zealand called Cryptopia. Then I downloaded an app on my phone, which essentially gave me a mobile wallet to store my Bitcoin in. After that, I went through the verification process, which includes using a passport or a driver's license to verify who you are and that you're a real person. And I was just about to buy the Bitcoin that was going to make me a millionaire when Cryptopia shut down. Essentially, they were told that their bank account was going to be shut down and they had to sell off all of their cryptocurrency. I also started going down the path of getting verified so that I could buy cryptocurrencies on a different exchange in New Zealand called Dasset. Um, It was a very lengthy process and that pretty much put me off. But at the same time, I was reading a lot more about cryptocurrencies, anarchist beginnings and the cyberpunks and the libertarians involved. 
And it really just put me off the whole thing. I thought, do I really want to engage in a market that's so anti-trust, anti-state and decentralized and unregulated? Um, I wasn't sure if ideologically I affiliated with all of that. That's a fair enough reason. (laughs) But luckily, (laughs) our technical producer, Alex Liu, got in early. He managed to buy some cryptocurrency and he's actually going to share his experience. So I got into crypto in December of last year. I originally was um, became interested in investing just outside of my own KiwiSaver. And so I started looking into investing in the New Zealand top 50 and the US top 50. And it was only really small amounts. You know, the golden rule is do not invest what you can't afford to lose. When Bitcoin became huge news and blew up, I was like, whoa, this is kind of interesting. I might jump in and just see what, what's going on. And so I kind of did research for about a month and quickly realized that there was not much point investing in Bitcoin. And so I researched into other coins and there was a coin called IOTA. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about how it's a total pain in the butt to buy cryptocurrency from New Zealand. You're probably one of the few Kiwis who's actually persisted. How did you end up with IOTA of all currencies? So IOTA was a bit of a pain, even more of a pain than Bitcoin because it's you can't buy it directly on a New Zealand exchange. Um, and the biggest New Zealand exchange at the time was Cryptopia. And so I signed up to Crypto- Cryptopia, which was in itself a bit of a mission because you have to verify your identity with a photo of yourself holding your passport or your driver's license, which took a couple of goes for them to confirm, but I finally got it. Cryptopia created a crypto called the NZDT, which makes it easy for New Zealanders to buy crypto in New Zealand. So basically you use New Zealand dollars to buy NZDT, and then you have a cryptocurrency. And then you can trade the NZDT on Cryptopia. So I traded my NZDT for another crypto called Ethereum. And then I could move my Ethereum to an overseas-based exchange. And from there, I could finally trade to get IOTA coin because IOTA coin is not available on New Zealand exchanges. So I traded my Ethereum to IOTA on Bitfinex and then I took all of my money offline so no one could hack me. And so where, where's your IOTA gone now? Have, have you made any gains on it? Um, no gains. Well, I made gains initially and then it dropped back down. When I bought IOTA, it was worth $3.50 US and now I think it's around $1.50. What's your long-term plan with crypto? I'm just going to leave it. I don't really know what to do with it. I'm going to be honest, I was a bit of a bandwagon jumper and I kind of just got into it because it kind of seemed fun and interesting and a bit risky, but also not risky if you weren't dropping your life savings like Derek did. <laughs> but um, So I'm just going to let it sit. You know, I'm not, I'm, I might lose on it, but I also might gain on it. And um, at the moment, I don't desperately need to cash out. So there's no real need to do anything with it. While we weren't successful at buying cryptocurrency, some Kiwis have been, and it's definitely something the banks are aware of. So we attempted to talk to New Zealand banks about this, mainly the big guys like ANZ, ASB, Westpac, BNZ, but they weren't too keen to talk to us about cryptocurrency. And it's understandable why. It's essentially a competitive threat to them. Virtual currency means you don't need a middleman like banks. So They came back with almost identical cookie-cutter responses, which was, yes, we're aware of cryptocurrency. We don't have a blanket policy. We monitor this on a case-by-case basis. But if anyone's trying to launder money using cryptocurrency, then we will shut their accounts down. And we've heard of some examples of this happening in New Zealand. 
Richard McManus has written a lot about this in his column for Stuff, and he wasn't at all surprised by the bank's responses to our questions. There, there are um, certain banks that are cracking down harder than others. Um, uh, I, I won't name them because I, I don't want to. <laughs> some of the stuff is off the record, but but um, but yeah, they, uh, it depends on the bank basically. Um, and if you're just trading small amounts, I, I don't think most of the banks will be concerned about that. It's, I think they're mainly concerned about people who are speculating huge amounts of money. Mm. Um, at least that, that's my feeling anyway. Yeah, yeah. Do you think um, they have reason to be afraid of this technology at this stage? Yeah, I, I think um, they definitely have an interest in where it's going because, um, you know, if digital currency does get um, legitimised around the world, then they basically have to get on board. But I think they're very cautious at the moment just because of the... Uh, anti-money laundering rules mm. and those kind of regulations. So it's, uh, I think it's a situation where they basically have to work with, you know, the government in order to to find a middle ground, if you like, where um, people can invest in these things. But you know, the, the rules aren't too strict that it's, um, you know, that New Zealand gets left behind, basically. So mm. I, I think that is happening in the background. I hope it is anyway, because <laughs> New Zealand definitely doesn't want to get left behind on this one. While the cryptocurrency market is extremely volatile at the moment, many hope they will eventually be able to use it as an actual currency for transactions, while others see it becoming a form of reserve currency, where you put your money to keep it safe, like gold. But it's becoming clearer the real potential doesn't lie with the cryptocurrency, but the technology behind it, which is called blockchain. Blockchain has become a buzzword recently. Last year, Kiwi businessman Eric Watson renamed his Long Island Ice Tea Group Long Blockchain Group, which sounds kind of ridiculous. But his effort to tap into this crypto craze actually worked. His shares skyrocketed, gaining 500% value following the name change. So what is blockchain? Basically, it's like a giant digital ledger that tracks all transactions in a way that's extremely public and therefore safe, but also anonymous. Rather than data being held by a company or a government, it's open sourced, online and audited by volunteers around the world. And someone who can probably explain blockchain and its future potential a lot better than we can is Sean O, who's head of the Blockchain Association in New Zealand. The association hasn't been around for very long, but the idea is to basically educate people in New Zealand about the technology and talk to politicians and banks and other bodies about how we're going to regulate cryptocurrency in the future and basically where it can go. Sean runs regular meetups around the country with other people who are interested in cryptocurrency and blockchain, and he said it's been really interesting over the past couple of years watching the face of the community change from those anarchists that we were talking about earlier to regular business people looking to leverage the potential of blockchain. To me, a blockchain is effectively just a very, very large database to store information. That's really all it is. It has some really neat properties, two Ds that I call it. The first one is that it's distributed, so the information that you store is placed all around the world. So if if you lose it in one place, it's still there somewhere else. So that's distributed. The other part is that it's decentralised. And that's the most important part, because no one owns the information except you. No company or government, for example. So that's where that's what blockchain really is under the covers. The way it came about was that Bitcoin used blockchains as a means to store how much you had. 
who you transferred it to. So it was being used as a ledger, so to speak. But because it's just storing information, you can use it to store lots of other things as well, such as land titles, for example, or your certificates, which you may have heard about in various other articles. Yeah, yeah. So um, to kind of expand on that there, I mean, I guess we're just starting to kind of understand the possibilities of what Mm. blockchain could be and could do in the future. What, What are some of the things that are kind of being being looked at now and where do we think or where do you think it could end up yeah there are so many applications coming out it's really up to your creativity because if you think about it as a database what can you use a database for some examples include uh, trying to track where the steak that piece of steak you had for dinner last night where that came from or those coffee beans was it farmed sustainably Mm. the the salmon uh, and supply chain logistics and as mentioned before, land titles, uh, particularly in countries where the system of recording is not as great as first world countries such as New Zealand. Blockchain not only holds financial data, but really any information of value that could be things like health records, birth certificates and social networks, or as Sean explained, supply chain logistics. There's even talk of people having ownership of all of their own data in a type of black box which they can then share at their discretion. There's also the potential to transact that information in the form of smart contracts. So if you have a smart car and a smart parking meter, for example, those two computers can interact without any physical money being exchanged and without any people being involved. So that park would register when the car moves in there and automatically charge a certain amount of a cryptocurrency, such as Bitcoin, for the amount of time that it spends in the car park. And let's say that your car runs out of Bitcoin, you forgot to top it up with money, well, the parking meter can just turn that computer off. So when you go to start your car, it won't be going anywhere until you pay the money. So there are amazing real-world applications for blockchain in the future. But in the meantime, it's still an investor's game, which Derek has discovered isn't always a very stable one to play. I can tell you what what kind of happened um, in the end. I was actually flying to um, Auckland for Christmas, and uh, I get off the plane, and I'm like checking my um, thing, and I see the market's down, and I'm like, oh, great, buying opportunity, I can buy more. <laughs> and then, and um, but then they're like, um, no, you're you you know you don't have any um, collateral left in your account to buy more. And then I get back to my brother's um, apartment, and I see that they've actually sent me an email saying your account is closed to liquidation. And um, I was oh. like, oh, my God. Um, and so I, you know, I logged in and, uh, yeah, everything was just crashing down, um, you know, a sea of red. And um, honestly, this is, the, this is probably the stupidest part of all. But, you know, it was just my own money. It wasn't, it wasn't like I lost anyone else's money. So mm-hmm. that's... Um, but I had like a, a few minutes. If I'd been really aggressive in selling my the bitcoins I had, you know, a loss, I could have preserved. You know, I could have still had like a million or two million. I would have taken a, a big loss time selling at the time. But um, I, don't know, I was just in. What was your response then? I was just in shock. I was just in shock, and I had an emotional attachment to my to my bitcoin. <laughs> And I don't know. I tried to put in, tried to deposit some more money, but these things aren't instantaneous. It was maybe 10, 15 minutes. I'm kind of staring at this 
computer screen in horror, hoping it doesn't mm. crash down. And then all of a sudden it did, and they started liquidating me. And uh, <laughs> it went from you know having I think I think when the market I think I had like 1.7 million in equity, and then they liquidated me. And because I had such big stake, when when they sold off my assets, they just kind of do it in an automated fashion. So I ended up with that negative $277,000 account balance in that second picture I sent you. <laughs> it was pretty painful. So were you... It was pretty painful. Were you were you crying? Um, no, I didn't cry. I mean, I was I was in shock. I mean, I stayed up. I couldn't get to sleep until like six a.m. Like I'd try to get to sleep, and for like the next two or two days, two or three days, yeah, I didn't get much sleep. I mean, I was I was I was pretty gutted. But, um, you know, overall, it was this was not the entire two hundred thousand dollars I'd put in. It was like the biggest chunk of that. But I still have some on other um, on other platforms, and overall, I better off than if I had just stuck it out in the stock market. Um, really? So you're yeah. still you're still better off. It's hard to say exactly how much my portfolio is because a lot of these assets are, are very thinly traded. And if I tried to sell them off all at once, it would kind of tank the market. But it, it, maybe I'm maybe up three or four times what uh, what I began with, even with that huge loss. So you know, so uh, so overall, I'm pretty fortunate. Katie, you spent a lot of time talking to Derek about his crazy story. What were your takeaways? I think his story serves as a warning for people wanting to get involved in the whole scene. It's that very traditional investment advice, don't invest more than you can afford to lose. But Derek was very upfront about that and the fact that it was only ever his money on the line. He didn't take other people's money and put that into cryptocurrency. Yeah, that's good of him. <laughs> I personally really like the idea of virtual currency or cryptocurrency. I like the idea that it's decentralized and deregulated. And for once, it takes some of the power away from government. But I noticed that you mentioned earlier in the episode that you don't really buy into the anarchist roots of this all. I think, as you said, it has moved past its anarchist roots, but there's still definitely, um, particularly in like the hardcore circles, real political bent towards libertarianism and individualism and I think quite fundamentally I'm just opposed to those ideas um they don't really reflect my philosophical values um and I also don't see how it's going to work on a really large scale because if you've got countries like New Zealand where things have to be regulated otherwise the law can't keep them safe for people involved um uh, it's going to have to change that that whole theme of being, you know, anonymous and yeah. individualistic. Yeah. At some point. So you don't really see yourself kind of becoming one of the crypto community. Well, I don't think there are many people like us in those communities. I mean, they're still very male dominated. Um, they're very techy and Silicon Valley macho ish. Um, and there's a reason that everyone we talked to in this episode 
was a man. It's actually still a very male-dominated area. Yeah, fair point. Though I'm going to say personally, I will trust maths over governments or politicians, I should say. You are a political reporter, so you're more qualified to speak on that. (laughs) Yeah, regardless of how you feel ideologically about cryptocurrency, it's kind of irrelevant at the moment because we think we're at least 10 years away from it being used in the everyday. Absolutely. One of the major obstacles is that this consumes so much electricity to be able to mine these currencies. And so if it's done on a really big scale, that's going to pose environmental problems. Um, And on top of that, we just don't have the infrastructure yet to regulate it, to make sure that it's trustworthy. And we don't even know how we're going to tax it. So if I put all of my savings into a cryptocurrency and then the IRD turns around and says you're going to have to pay tax on that, well, that's a risky investment, isn't it? It could be devastating. We would love to hear your thoughts on cryptocurrency. Are you an investor? Have you had a wild ride like Derek? You can learn more about his experience and a bit more about the cryptocurrency market on the Superfad page on Stuff, stuff.co.nz forward slash superfad. You can also join our Superfad group on Facebook where Laura and I will tune in to answer any extra questions you have and share extra relevant info from recording. We'll also be doing Facebook live videos every Monday where we discuss in more detail the issues raised in each episode. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Kenny Katie. And I'm at Walters Laura. Thanks for listening to this episode on cryptocurrency. We will be releasing a new episode every Friday. Our next episode is on DNA mapping. For this episode, Katie and I actually find out what our ancestry is. Spoiler alert, we're both very white. This episode was made by us. Alex Liu is our technical producer and John Hardevelt is our executive producer. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, that, yeah I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.